All right, there we go. Okay. Okay. Do you want to do the preamble? Yeah, sure, I can do it. Or you said you're gonna record it on your own. No, I, mean, I can. I can do this for you. Yeah, we can. Right. I mean, I can. Do, I can do it on here. I can do it. And if uh, <laughs> you, you can change it, you can change it if you want. No, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear this. Let's let's do it. All right, you ready? All right. <laughs> you can't laugh. You have to be silent. Okay. Okay. I'm silent. Arising out of the sea. Is it a gorilla? Is it a whale? No, this is Gohira. All right, welcome to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, everybody. Uh, my name is Alex Cornett, and joining me, like always, Dr. Sirozawa, Eric Neely. <laughs> What's up, guys? I'm Eric. I'm excited to be a part of this podcast. Well, thank you for joining me, Eric. And as you heard, it's now and forever. So, <laughs> so buckle up. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, can't it's leave a now. Little... It's a commitment. That's right. That's right. You're in it for the long haul. Um, let's see. So, Eric. Yes. Why are we doing monster movies? I don't know why I'm asking you this because I'm the one that pushed you into it. Well, I think we're doing monster movies because you're such a big fan. Am I right? I am. I am. And and this podcast, you know, we are starting out with the behemoth. Yes. Godzilla himself. But <laughs> and we're, we're going to do a pretty long series on him. But, you know, I was thinking this eventually we're going to be going into things like, you know, Jaws. And things like any any type of monster, but we're gonna start out with kaiju, and we're gonna stay in Japan for a while. What do you think? I think it's great. Yeah, whenever you talk to me about this podcast, uh, I thought it would be a great idea to go through all of the Godzilla movies. Uh, it would be a, a big task to go through all kaiju, obviously, but I think it's a reasonable goal for us to set starting off to go through all the kaiju movies. But let me ask you, what got you into Godzilla? Like, why did you ask me to do this podcast? All right. So it's kind of odd. So Godzilla has always been this part of my life that it has just has this like weird entry point. So it was probably like when I was five, maybe even less. uh, My dad got me a whole bunch of Godzilla movies. And I even asked him about it. I was like, Hey, Hey dad, like I'm getting ready to do this podcast. Why did you get me Godzilla? Or why did you get me Godzilla movies? Or where did you find these? Because you know this isn't this isn't typical run of the mill right, stuff. Right. Uh, but and his answer was, oh, I don't know. I saw them at Kmart, so it wasn't that interesting of it. <laughs> that didn't do the biggest interesting as I hoped it would be. Um, but since then, I've been in love. And like back then, I had all these VHS. Yeah, VHSs, people. Right. So I had VHSs. I had Godzilla versus Megalon. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which is the American version of the movie we watched for this episode. Nice. And then I had Godzilla versus Monster Zero, Godzilla versus, uh, no, I had Terror of Mechagodzilla. And then I had Godzilla versus Biollante, which is the only non Showa era Godzilla movie that I had. Nice. And it was, it was my, it was my favorite because it was, uh, there's something special about it. And I didn't, not until now do I realize what it is and that something special is about 30 years <laughs> of technology improvements since 
the original one. Now, though, interestingly enough, uh, I think, and you know, I did a marathon of this a few years ago, but I think, and we'll see going through this, but I think the original Godzilla or Gojira is my favorite. Here's the thing, and you know this, Alex. I've seen about four Godzilla movies. I'm not what I would say. I would not call myself a fanboy of Godzilla by any means. So it's a good thing that we have you so that you can teach me even what the heck the Showa era is because I'm really clueless on things like that. Uh, As Alex would like to say, I'm into serious films, which I think is just your way of calling me pretentious. I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, 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 a little bit. As you always tell me. I'm not a big fan of comedies, but then Eric always loves watching comedies. <laughs> I mean, I do laugh at just about everything. That's why I think I'm going to enjoy doing this so much because because I know I can laugh at these Godzilla films. Um, I might be a little bit more skeptical, you know, in some parts of, of the Godzilla films, but I really have an appreciation for film and I come to Godzilla as an English teacher. So there will probably be times when Alex has to tell me, dude, you don't have to think that hard about this. It's just Godzilla. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to that discussion. I think it'll be fun. The interesting thing for you is going to be, it's going to be watching you realize that every Godzilla movie is a gem. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Even? <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. Once we get to the son of Godzilla, I can't wait to, for you to see some of these movies. They're phenomenal. <laughs> so, so what should we expect in this podcast? What, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be trying to take a deep dive into these films. Uh, maybe even overanalyze some of them, especially like, you know, I don't know if King Kong versus Godzilla deserves an overanalysis, but it will probably get one. This podcast is, it's more, uh, we're not going to be dunking on these films. Like, yeah, some of them are going to be bad, but we're the goal is to have fun. The goal is to, you know, if, if it's a bad movie, we're going to call it a bad movie, but we're also going to give it its merits because, you know, King Kong God vs. Godzilla is a bad movie. It's fun. It's really fun, but it's a bad movie. Right, exactly. <laughs> what about what about you? Are, you? are you open to the experience of a bad movie? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think coming into this, I've kind of joked with you. I said, you know, I want to be the American Ninja Warrior of Godzilla podcast, meaning, you know, we're going to be positive. Uh, we're going to go over the top sometimes. You know, we're going to have a good time discussing these films. I think the balance that we have with you kind of knowing a lot more than I do, um, but me leaning more into um, kind of the deeper elements of some of these films, I think that'll be a good balance and we'll have a lot of fun with it. I also just think it'll be fun doing a podcast, you know, with you. And I think it's a general expectation that our audience has watched this film that we're discussing. So if you're expecting a spoiler free discussion of these films, this isn't the podcast for you. Try to watch the film before you listen to the podcast so that you can enjoy the discussion along with us. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely recommend that. I mean, if, if you are on the fence about watching this, then maybe, Maybe listen to the podcast and maybe it'll pique your interest. You know, uh, you might want to see the might, the majesty that is Godzilla for yourself. Absolutely. All right. Let's go ahead and get into our first film. All right. You set it up, Eric. What, what's set up this movie for me? All right. Here we go. Nine years after the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and two years after the occupation of Japan ended, the original 1954 Godzilla, or 
Gohira, released to less than stellar reviews in Japan, with some Japanese critics claiming it exploited the widespread devastation following World War II, as well as the Lucky Dragon incident that occurred a few months before filming began. Ishiro Honda, the director, lamented years later in the Tokyo Journal. They called it grotesque junk and said it looked like something you'd spit up. I felt sorry for my crew because they had worked so hard. Honda also stated, At the time, they wrote things like, This movie is absurd because such giant monsters do not exist. Honda didn't know it at the time, but Gohira would continue to evolve, achieving widespread fame in the U.S., which helped spawn, as of now, 32 films produced by Toho three Hollywood films, and a never-ending array of video games, comic books, and even action figures. But what made Gohira such a success? What about the film, the monster, the characters, helped launch this relatively small-budget film into a global phenomenon? That's where we'll start today, Alex. What do you think it is about this movie specifically that eventually touched audiences in a way that it demanded a franchise? Do you still connect with the original Gohira film? In what ways? Yeah, so... I definitely still connect. I kind of already said this early on, but the last time that I watched all these movies through, all but two of them, but the last time I watched all the way through, I somehow, the first one, stuck with me the entire way through. Mm -hmm. And the first movie is actually a jumping off point for all of the other Toho Godzilla films until Shin Godzilla. Uh, Whether they... So the Showa era, they all... It goes from Gojira all the way to the end, and I believe the last one is Terror of Mechagodzilla. And then we go on to the Hasai era, and the first movie exists, and then that next series of movie exists. And then the Millennial era, it's just the first movie, and then one-shot movies. So it's the first movie, and then the first Millennial movie, and then it keeps doing that. That really speaks volumes about what's what audiences wanted. Toho wouldn't have been making these movies if nobody went to go see them. Now (laughs) they did for a while there later on in the Showa era, we start to see that, but you know, the staying power was really created by this first impression. You know, first impressions are the most important ones as they tell you. And the tone of this movie, it sets everything perfectly. Godzilla is menacing. He's terrifying. Even ignoring bad special effects ignoring the googly eyes ignoring the googly (laughs) eyes ignoring the hand puppet it's it's a real testament to the film that even when they're using a hand puppet and it, it it looks like a hand puppet even when they're doing it it doesn't ruin the experience right yeah i mean that's phenomenal right i mean i think for me i i love this film um this isn't the first time that i watched it when i was preparing for this podcast um this is actually the third time I watched. I actually watched it earlier in the summer and just rewatching it again. Uh, I kept thinking how easy it was to connect. Um, and there's, cause I think it taps into something that's kind of primordial from that very beginning um, sequence where you just hear Godzilla's roar right at the beginning of the movie. It's unnerving, right? It's metallic. Yeah. It's unnatural. Um, there's something about that, that fascinates you from the very first frame of the film. Um, but I also think like there's part of a fascination of this godlike figure, Godzilla, right? <laughs> there's an idealization of this godlike creature. I think we'll see this in later films where Godzilla becomes more of a hero. But in this film, it seems like the, the people of Japan, the director, everyone involved in this movie is trying to figure out what is Godzilla? 
Um, and ultimately, it becomes this allegorical tale that I think taps into so many elements and so many themes. It's a movie about humans and humanity. Um, what do you think the strongest points of this film are? You know, I, I mentioned it earlier. The strongest points are the tone, mm-hmm. but also that ending. Yeah. <laughs> the ending is phenomenal. You know, now uh, nowadays, if this movie came out now, I might be disappointed. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, there's something about it. It is the saddest ending. It is. It's one of the, like, like, for such a huge victory for humanity, it's kind of, like, devastating. And, like, you you lose Sirizawa, who is, he's kind of like a, kind of like an Albert Einstein figure. But instead, he realizes, you know, the results of some of his actions and what's going to come of them if he, if his secrets are given to even the Japanese government or anybody. He knows what's going to happen. So... He kills himself. Not only does he kill himself, he kills a sleeping Godzilla. <laughs> he, he's just he's just napping at the bottom of the sea. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't see it coming. There's no climax. It's just this really sad. These two real characters are dying, and for for what really? I mean, you know, Godzilla. He's a creation of humanity's i guess ignorance mm-hmm. dropping bombs everywhere right. and it's even now maybe one of the reasons it still connects is we're still destroying the planet yeah slowly whether it's via trash pollution anything uh we're still doing the same things we were back then so it's not like the uh, message is lost on anybody it still is there and makes sense to everyone yeah i think that point um you know the destruction of the planet godzilla literally being um the result of nuclear bombs that that point is pretty on the nose when it comes to the allegory of this film. But I like what you said about the ending and the tone. There's such a melancholic tone, but I don't think it's just the ending. And I think that's what makes this film special compared to a few of the other Godzilla films that I've seen so far is that there's this overall melancholic tone throughout. Um, There's a film critic I like, Michael Phillips, uh, Chicago Tribune. He said that the Coen brothers often describe filmmaking as tone management. And for me, I think this original Godzilla film manages that melancholic tone throughout. Um, there's serious themes here, but there's real characters. You can see at each point in the film, each character is dealing with a real sense of loss, a real sense of it could be a loss of identity. Um, in Sarazawa's case, it's the loss of his life at the end. There's a loss of innocence, a loss of culture, of tradition. Each of these main characters, when you think about it, either loses that which is most dear to it or at least faces that possibility. Yeah, I mean, I, I love what you said about loss. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's pretty profound. I mean, that is. I mean, even uh, uh, Dr. Kyohei Yamane, yeah. I believe he was the person that wanted to keep Godzilla around, right? Yeah, so, so Yamane was the scientist who wanted to study Godzilla. Even he's experiencing loss. I mean, he he's seeing this beast be destroyed that he firmly believes could be the key to saving Japan from fu- future or even the world from future radiation issues linked to nuclear <laughs> weapons. Lucky, uh, why am I blanking on this? The lucky dragon yeah. incident that really inspired the mm-hmm. film. Uh, you know, he's, he's seeing this possible solution to Japan's, especially fresh wounds back then. Uh, be annihilated in front of them. This film has so much. I'm impressed that they were able to crank this thing out. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, Eric, but 
this was a this is a knockoff of of the movie The Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, the, and that movie was a knockoff of King Kong. <laughs> and the reason it was a knockoff of King Kong is they did so King Kong did this re-release in nineteen fifty three, I mm-hmm. believe it was. And I guess the producers saw the movie like, oh hey, we can rip this off, like this twenty year old <laughs> movie off. And so they did. It was a really campy. It has some similar stuff, you know, a beast is woken by a uh, dropping of nukes. He's right. awoken in the, in the Arctic, I believe it is. And so, I mean, this movie literally was titled the giant monster monster from 20,000 miles under the sea that's funny. when it was being written. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> yeah. mean, that's interesting because, you know, I do think it taps into something, you know, Shira Honda, the director obviously didn't take this job as a ripoff. You know, he took it, I mean, it may might have started there, but he obviously took it in different directions um, that transcended, you know, the things that it was trying to rip off in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, it's part of it's because he, he, uh, Honda at the time was having nightmares, these reoccurring nightmares involving a monster. It didn't look like Godzilla, but he felt that the best way to tackle this was to make this movie. Hmm. And they were making it at the last minute because this other movie got canned at the very last second. And so they had to crank this thing out. I mean, it was filmed in like 122 days, something like that, which is pretty impressive considering that they had to build these miniatures that you see throughout the film. And this is the first time miniatures were built to be destroyed on this scale. (laughs) And it's also the first time suitmation was used because they couldn't afford claymation. Nice. I mean, this movie was made in a very small time constraint, but it also had these enormous innovations in it that it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know much about how these films were made, but just looking at this film and and the level of detail that some of these miniatures have, it's pretty outstanding. And I mean, if you think about it, films, you know, as well known as Star Wars have been using miniatures um, and destroying miniatures ever since. So it's pretty impressive that they were able to do this in such a short time span. It's just incredible. But let's get away from that. What did you think of the story? I mean, the story as a whole. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sold on, on most of it. One, one thing I've always had an issue with is the oxygen destroyer. Um, I've never quite grasped the concept. I, I get it's, it's menacing. You know, it's kind of like uh, an atomic bomb in a sense. But who controls this thing? We, we've gotten one test on screen where we see, uh, you know, Sarazawa do the miniature oxygen destroyer in the fish tank and it destroys everything in the fish tank. My thought is how do we know where this oxygen destroyer ends? How do we know it's not going to destroy everything in the sea, which would change life for everything forever. I know this is actually part of Sarah's fears, but it's a part of the plot. I've never really bought into. What do you think about the oxygen destroyer? The way I, I have to, I guess, maybe rationalize it to myself. Because, you know, this is a short film. It's like 89 minutes. You know, Sirizawa's running these tests. I'm sure he's dropped a micro, like, just almost atom-sized pieces into this tank mm-hmm. and seeing the radius, maybe. Yeah. And so he knows, you know, maybe a certain amount will destroy a certain radius. Maybe that. You know, he is a scientist. He's been, he's been toiling away at this thing for a long time. He knows the ins and outs of it. He knows things we don't know. So... I like to think that maybe he knew how much it was going to be destroyed, but it does. It if they did use that in the real world, it would decimate Japan's economy. I mean, most of their economy, or not most, but a lot of their economy is fishing. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's what it wipes out. But that's the point, you know, I guess yeah. as well is because he's he's using this ultimate weapon, mm-hmm. probably even more, even worse than the atomic bomb. It's just this thing that destroys everything around it to the point that it disintegrates. I mean, it disintegrates Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> who eats radiation. Right. I mean, I feel like he has to know the ins and outs. I, I, can buy, I can buy into it. I know some people with the latest Godzilla movie, which I haven't seen. This tells you how much of a kaiju fanatic. I, I haven't seen the latest Godzilla movie. I know some people were making fun of the Oxygen Destroyer, like that name, but they didn't know that it was a throwback to the original Godzilla film. So th- there's something to the Oxygen Destroyer. It sounds menacing for sure. I don't know if I 100% buy into it, but I like your take. But speaking of what you were saying earlier, I do think the climax of this film um, is a strong point. You have that girls choir that's singing while we see the destruction that Godzilla has laid waste to in Japan. They're quite literally, these girls are quite literally singing a prayer, right? A prayer, which obviously, you know, if you've been paying attention in this film, we're, we're watching a film about Godzilla. They're saying a prayer, which leads Amiko to revealing Sarazawa's secret, which finally leads to his sacrifice, right? Right. And then at the very end of the film, you know, the professor has his, you know, on the nose line, which I don't think we need at the very end. But you got to say that Sarazawa at the end in a sacrifice with his eye patch looking all badass, you have to <laughs> say that that part is pretty epic. Right. I'm not sure if there's anything quite like it. I've seen the um, 2014 Godzilla where they skydive out of the airplane oh, to Godzilla. I love that scene. And love I, that to scene. me, like that's the, the to, to me, there's, you know, throwbacks. I think the 2014 Godzilla was throwing back a little bit to this diving scene um, in which Sarazawa sacrifices himself. But I think it's an amazing scene. What about you? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I'm, I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it, it, it's, the tone it's the tone man it's yeah. perfect and you know this tone it would not be complete without akira ifukube's uh composition throughout mm-hmm. the film i mean his music is perfect <laughs> it's his godzilla theme is my favorite theme of all time yeah we haven't mentioned that i mentioned that roar at the beginning but what's so great about the the roar is that it's followed directly after by that music that iconic music that it's almost this dread, you know, that's coming after you after you hear that metallic roar. So I love it. You're right. I don't know if you knew this, but Akira, he also created Godzilla's roar. Nice. So not only did he do the music, he created the actual roar. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. You know, I think for 1954, you know, you hear sound designers nowadays, they're using all sorts of um instruments all sorts of tools to create different sounds so i'd be curious to know what he created yeah yeah he what he used uh i believe he used a leather glove on a base nice (laughs) and just raked it across it yeah yeah i can get that let's move into some fast facts i know you have some uh fast facts about the film to share with us alex yeah yeah so i was uh that's kind of where I was going with with that Akira fact is that, you know, there's so many interesting things that happen in this production that, you know, nobody really knows about. Uh, this And especially this Godzilla film. This one has the most interesting things that, fall, that happen and they're, they're just, they're wild. So, Eric, mm-hmm. did you know that somebody almost died on set 
and it wasn't the person in the suit. <laughs> that would have been my first assumption. No, I did not know that. <laughs> so the uh, the assistant director, they were going to film that that perfect scene underwater mm-hmm. where uh, Sirizawa kills Godzilla. Yeah. Well, they actually filmed underwater. Uh, the problem is, is someone didn't attach his oxygen line, nice. the assistant director's oxygen line. And when he was tugging on the emergency line. Are you, are you sure his oxygen wasn't destroyed? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> it most certainly was. And not only that, his hope of survival was destroyed when he was jerking on the emergency line and nobody mm-hmm. was paying attention. <laughs> And so no one saw. People only noticed him when he started floating at the top of the water. <laughs> it's terrible that I'm laughing at this, but no, it's no, great. it's hilarious. It's hilarious because he lived. He lived. Yeah. They okay. still we got can alive. We can laugh. We can laugh about yeah. him. Now. Yeah, okay. yeah. Godzilla's suit weighed like 220 pounds, made of like chicken wire and all this other stuff. But in the design, a lot of people don't know that Godzilla's scales looked like tumors that survivors of Nagasaki and Hiroshima were getting after from radiation. And so his scales actually look like the tumors that were appearing. That makes sense. I mean, I like that. That's a good detail. So the suit, 220 Mm -hmm. pounds, uh, two people wore the suit. (laughs) Not at the same time. I mean, maybe they were stacked on each other. I didn't know if it was one of those scenarios, you know, like, you know, like the the horse or the, you know, the dragon where multiple people are in the suit. But yeah, Yeah. obviously one person. So, one of the guys, Katsumi Tezuka, uh, he was like, he's like the B okay. guy. They were both brought in to do equal parts, but Nakajima really took over, especially going forward in the series. He mostly plays Godzilla. Katsumi, he comes in and out, but eventually he stops. Um, but there's an interesting anecdote. So these sets are meticulous and really hard to build, right? Right. Well... They're getting ready to do Godzilla's first destruction of the city take. And so they tell Katsumi, all right, start walking. And just go forward until we tell you to stop. Well, he starts walking. He trips. And he falls on the entire set and just crushes it. (laughs) Well, as you know, there's not a scene in the movie where Godzilla falls on the city. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, I was going to say, uh, this isn't a scene <laughs> from the film. Right, right. So so overnight, they have to have everybody come in, rebuild the set, and go again. And then this time, Nakajima, you know, number one, he goes and he, he crushes it. But even then, they're not happy. So as you see in the movie, there are scenes where just Godzilla is destroying the city. And suddenly, he kind of looks a little more like a puppet than he yeah. did in another scene. <laughs> That's because they weren't satisfied with not even Nakajima's performance. Wow! All right. Yeah, so and and up it instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they they had to uh, Nakajima had another problem where he would sweat profusely, like literally between takes, they would have to open the suit and scoop sweat out of it. Yeah, and he had to constantly drink water because there's no ventilation. They can't even see out of the suit. It, it is like the worst nightmare for for, for yeah. an actor, and like you know, uh, Nakajima went and studied all these animals to learn. <laughs> I was gonna say like he, he I, wanted, I feel like anybody could have done this job, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do have to yeah. study these animal patterns. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, he did. He went and studied all these animals to learn. You know, how's this beast gonna move? Well, he gets in it, 
It's too heavy to do anything. Like, there's, tell him. <laughs> there's only one way he can move. <laughs> yeah, like a machine. <laughs> That's what they tell him to do. Just move like a machine. Yeah. And so, you know, in later iterations, each movie they shave more weight off the suit and eventually becomes a little more bearable. But the stories in this filming are just wild. I, I, I really recommend people. There's this Life magazine that is all about Godzilla. I really recommend people read it because you'll be laughing a lot. I mean, <laughs> things, things really went wrong on this production. I was going to ask you, mm-hmm. if you had to give someone an award for something, like, uh, I don't know, who's the best character? Who would you give it to? Best character. So this segment, I think, will be pretty fun because we're going to do awards for each movie. Um, and the first award is the coolest character award, um, which is the lamest name. So if anybody has a better name, we would like to hear it. Uh, we could call it the Amico Award, but I think Alex uh, would quit the podcast dude, immediately. Okay, okay, that scene where Amico. No, no, I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it for later. So I know the obvious choice here is Sarazawa. But I won't it's because it's the choice. right choice, Eric. I will, it's because it's the right choice. <laughs> I will tell you, I will tell you the correct choice. The correct choice is Dr. Yamane, the professor. His idealism, his optimism. Um, now, to be fair, his position makes no logical sense. I get that, right? He wants to save Godzilla so that he can study him. I get it doesn't make sense, but you could also say that he's a little bit ahead of his time, right? In these in these future films, I know Godzilla becomes the hero. Humanity literally relies on Godzilla at points to save them. So in a way, Dr. Umane, the professor, he's ahead of his time in recognizing the hero status of Godzilla. Right. But, but to be fair, this Godzilla <laughs> never comes back. Or does he? He might. I, he might. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, anyway, so... My award goes to Sirazawa, as I said, because he is the best character. Not Yamane. No, not that chump Yamane. It's Sirazawa, man. I mean, he is selfless, like, in a way that you don't don't see it in movies. This is a guy who created a weapon and is like, I didn't mean to, so I'm just going to take myself out instead of giving it to you all. He's just so selfless and paranoid, man. There's not a whole lot of characters in in film, especially that are like him, I agree. I would say uh, the professor. One thing I do appreciate about him, he wants to study Godzilla, right? Like he wants to get this closer look. He wants to see his behaviors. In a way, I think that's kind of what we're doing with this podcast. <laughs> the next thing, the most memorable line award. So this could be something that is ridiculous. This could be something that is epic. What was your most memorable line? The best line in the movie is like the most haunting, darkest line in the movie, man. Where where the the mother is cowering with, I think it's just her son. And she's like, oh, well, don't worry. We'll be with your your father soon. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, we'll be seeing your father soon. It's like, oh, oh." like like this lady has just resigned herself to dying. Well, I do give this film a lot of credit, too, just for those reaction shots. I mean, there's so many of them here that really make Godzilla into this terrifying catastrophe, right? Um, My line is, of course, from the professor. And he says, right now, our priority should be to study its incredible power of survival. I just think there's something about that 
I, I again, I like his idealism. Sure, <laughs> he might be wrong at the end of the day. Um, there's so many things going against him, but I like I like his idealism and his optimism in the face of this terrifying catastrophe. Yeah, I mean, he really he's the only character in the film that's optimistic about it. Really, I mean, well, except yeah. for the military when they think that normal conventional weapons are going to hurt Godzilla. They're optimistic about their own powers, which it seems like that's going to be a recurring theme in these films. Speaking of optimism, let's go on to our next award of the Can't Believe the Acting Award, which th- this is a this will probably right. be a staying award if the first several movies are oh, an indicator. Well, the Can't Believe the Acting Award, once again, kind of like the most memorable line, it could be that acting is pretty awesome or it could be that acting is pretty terrible um to me I, i'm gonna go with sarazawa here um and so it's a good acting moment and it's when he's confronting agata agata has come to him he's pleading that sarazawa use this oxygen destroyer but sarazawa responds agata we human beings are weak creatures you can see in in sarazawa's face um in his eye that he really right. means it, right? He he knows himself and he knows how humans take advantage of these powerful weapons to destroy other human beings. And that's why he calls us weak creatures. We are weak creatures. So for me, that was my can't believe the acting award. I really love that moment. Did you go with a great acting moment as well? Yeah, far from it, Eric. This is, this <laughs> is in my opinion, Hands down, the worst moment of the entire film. All right, this is, I might even act it out for you all. I might even act it out. That's how bad it is. I can do it. So, acting on a podcast, it's always a great Everybody a great loves idea. this idea. Everybody loves it, Eric. So, mine is Emiko when she's in the lab with Sirozawa and he shows off the oxygen destroyer on a few fish. A few fish he shows this off on. And her reaction is, <laughs> that was pretty good actually as she quickly spins really around good, yeah. and like kind of faints i mean i've i don't think i could see a fish get killed and have that reaction even if that fish was my best friend <laughs> you know i it's baffling that it made it it seems like you're the type of guy that has a strong connection to your pets though I have a strong connection with my dog. I didn't have a strong connection with Susanna Bandana back when she murdered five other fish. I didn't have a strong connection with her. All right. What about the last award, the the standout effect award? What was your standout effect here? I did want to. I did want to say something about Miko real quick. This was her first. Okay, acting. so we should give her. A break. No, it's still too bad. <laughs> we'll move on. Standout effect award. What is yours, Eric? Well, I think the obvious one. Uh, to go with is, you know, the train scene where he picks up the train and puts it in his mouth and crushes the train. It's an amazing scene. But to me, it's something a lot more subtle. And it's when we get this overhead view of just these footprints in the sand with this line that you know is Godzilla's tail that has been dragged through the sand. Um, It's so simple, but at the same time, so menacing. I love the effect. What about you? Yeah, I mean, to to that, you know, one of the cool moments that I like in the film is when they're looking at the, I think it is the footprints that he left, and they see the trilobite. 
that oh, yeah. he left behind, indicating how old he is, right. and like that this is something came that came from deep within the sea. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool moment that sets it up. And I also, you know, that also brings me to another point I meant to bring up earlier. I can't believe the first time you see Godzilla is during the day. Right. Yeah. That when is does that true. ever happen? Yeah. When does that ever happen in a movie? They always show the monster at night first. Yeah. Good point. Now, to be fair, and this brings up my my award, the standout effect. The first time we see Godzilla on that hill, it is one of the worst effects of the entire movie. And yeah. maybe one of the effect, worst effects I've ever seen in my life. And that is a that is a Godzilla hand puppet peeking over the hill. And it is very clear that that thing is a hand puppet. Right. It is, yeah. <laughs> so this, this award can go either way as well. It could be a great effect or it could be a not so great effect that really stands out. Yeah, I, I mean, and I am a sucker, and you're going to see this, Eric, and, and viewers, you're going to see this over and over. Every movie, the military has to fight Godzilla. And every movie, it plays out almost the exact same way. Until later movies. And then they start getting really creative. That's one of my favorite parts of these movies, actually, is how they plan on defeating Godzilla and how poor it usually goes. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll see that over and over again. So those are our awards, but you know, me and Eric were dads, right? Eric's a double dad. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a single dad because I, I am married. I have one you dad. have one daughter, yeah, uh, yeah, and she is very reactive to these movies. But Eric's kid, Theo, he's older. How old is Theo now? Theo is four, right? And so when I show when I show him these films, there's something that intrigues him about them right old charlie chaplin films he enjoys he's been getting into these old godzilla films at least parts of them um so we decided a fun segment would be the theometer theometer, theometer. (laughs) (laughs) where where theo talks about how scary these these monsters are because let's be honest this is 1954 theo already at four years old has seen some pretty crazy crap Right, just because of our society today. So it'll be interesting to see how he uh, sees these monsters. And it's cool because he's he's watching these movies just maybe a year or two shy of when I was first introduced to Godzilla. Nice. So I'm I'm really interested to see what his impressions are. All right. Well, let's talk to Theo. All right, Theo, are you ready for the theometer? Yes. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch this clip from the first Godzilla movie, right? A little piece of the movie. Okay. You're going to tell me what's happening, okay? Okay. All right. Here we go. You tell me what's happening. If there's anything scary that happens, let me know, okay? Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's take a look. You tell me what's happening. So what's happening here? A little bar. A little bar? Yeah, like bars. Small, bigger, biggest. Okay. And what was that? Godzilla. Okay. What's what's he doing? I'm walking. Walking. Where's he walking from? Um, he's walking from to a building. What? Wow. And what's he gonna do? He's going to show it, and I see people is going to probably try to like hit Godzilla with bullets. What's happening here? He's getting hit by bullets. Yeah. Is, he's is, he's in those power lines, isn't he? Yeah. Is he gonna destroy those? Yeah. 
What's happening now? I also just hear him like... <laughs> yeah, that's a good roar. Absolutely. So how's... Oh, man. That's scary. That's scary. Yeah, All like right. you made me jump. Made you jump a little yeah. bit? So how scary is this Godzilla? Like if you were to give this Godzilla a rating, how scary would you give it? Um, I give it like a little bit scary to big or scary to a hundred. Okay, so to be clear, you said a little scary to a big scary to a hundred. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, like to one, to twenty, to four hundred. Perfect. I like it. Good rating today. This was the theometer. Right. By the way, yeah, Gwen is in love with Godzilla. Right. Every time I pull out this magazine that I read about, anytime I have the movie on, Godzilla! I'm like, yeah, Godzilla. And then when King Kong came out, she's doing the monkey sound. Of course, yeah. I'm telling, I'm telling Gwen's you. Gwen's one and a half. I'm telling you, when Gwen is old enough, we're doing the Gwendar. Oh, definitely, definitely. But yeah, she, she's a fan. She loves these movies. She'll sit through, she'll sit and watch the entirety of these movies. And it's even if I watch it uh, in its original language, she don't care. Right. She, she doesn't know much English anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so we've done our awards. We've heard from the theometer. Let's get into our rating and ranking for this film. So, Alex, um, we're going to rate these films as we go along out of five. And as we watch more films, we're going to place them on a continuum, on a ranking scale. Where do they fall um, in our all-time favorite Godzilla films? So, Alex, how do you rate this film out of five? And for you, who's seen these films, um, where do you rank this one? I mean, this one, you know, I'm, I'm a little more lenient on films than you are. Yes, right? this is for sure. <laughs> You're more likely to turn on a film or, I guess, criticize the small details than I am. But this film is... It would lose points for its bad effects because the, the effects were bad even this. Like I said, they couldn't afford claymation. Mm -hmm. As this is their first go at sumation, they're using hand puppets, they're using toys. I mean, they're using all kinds of stuff. But the fact this film makes me feel like I'm going to cry at the end. Yeah. I mean, that that's so impressive. Especially when I know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Especially when this movie is 60 years old. I mean, it's an incredible. The, the feeling of like doom and gloom is as, as you said he he's got the train in his mouth he's slowly burning down japan i mean it's a five out of five for me man and the more i read about it the more i love it and maybe that's not fair to the movie because everybody's gonna read about it but it has this special place as the birth of something i love and the craftsmanship and the love that was put in this movie you can really tell that these people care yeah. they did everything they could to make this movie not just relevant, but stay in the test of time. And it works. Everything works about it for me. What about you? Yeah, I'd, I'd be right there with you, but I'm going to hold out. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5, leaving just a little bit of room. Maybe one of these films along the way, maybe something's going to surprise me and surpass it. Um, but I think a 4.5 out of 5 is still really strong. I'm, I'm impressed by the overall scale and scope of this vision that Honda had. Um, I mean, you said it was a ripoff, but it was a ripoff that really took it in allegorical directions um, that really just connected with me on multiple levels. As a piece of entertainment, you know, some of the action pieces aren't as strong as others. But as a film nerd, you know, I didn't want to turn my brain off while watching this film. 
Um, it was always making me think, it made me think about issues of the past versus the present, science versus nature, truth versus censorship. It makes me appreciate the metaphorical nature of this film overall. And it sets a standard that I know is going to be hard to live up to, but I'm excited to see if maybe something can squeak in there. Based off my my three other films that I've seen, um, I'm hesitant to say there will be, um, but that's okay. I think starting with this one is a good place to start, and it's something for the other films to reach to. Yeah, and, and it definitely is something for the other films to reach to. Uh, and we'll get into that more in the coming weeks, you know, things are things are going to go uphill and downhill, uh, especially the Showa era, which goes until about seventy four, I believe, and then it kicks, and then the next era kicks off about ten years later. Nice. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see your reaction to some of this because things get bad as Toho begins to cater to children more than they do adults, and this is you know, Go- Gojira is a adult film right. it is made for adults but you know honda even mentioned that kids eyes lighted up at the sight of mm-hmm. godzilla during this film yeah and so and that's something toho takes advantage yeah of. absolutely and i think one of the things that you've mentioned is you almost shed tears at the end of this film but i don't really think it's for sarazawa i think it's for godzilla right <laughs> like Right, no, it you know, is. It is. It's because it's that it's that sadness of just seeing this majestical beast. That's just he doesn't even go down in a blaze of glory. He goes down in a sleep. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not. Well, part of me wants to say that Godzilla doesn't isn't trying to like destroy everything. <laughs> like it's it's just in his nature as this animal, kind of you know, like the professor wanted to study him for his effects, but then again he does go after some pretty like uh, memorable landmarks. So he may be menacing. Yeah, well, you know, maybe, maybe that used to be his home and he's like, <laughs> who moved in and put their furniture here. And so he's just destroying it all, getting it ready for to make a cozy place later on. You know, we don't, we, we don't know because Sirizawa goes and kills the guy. I mean, you know, what did he do? He just, he just, he just wanted to go home. Yeah. Kills him until next week. When we watch Godzilla well, no. Raids again. Hey, right. We, next week we're watching Godzilla Raids again, but this is a different Godzilla. The one that he kills in this film stays dead. It's a new Godzilla that comes in after this and takes over. So you could make an argument that the original Godzilla was evil and that the new one is maybe not evil and maybe more of a force of nature than the previous nice. one. Well, I think that's definitely something that we can discuss next podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to go into it. You know, send us your send us your feelings about Godzilla and Godzilla Raids again. You know, we, we've got a Twitter feed now. We do. At MVM underscore pod. Yeah, if you don't do the Twitter, you can send us an email at mvmpod at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Letterboxd and on our personal Twitter accounts at Al Cornette and at Mr. Eric Neely. Yeah, yeah. Give us a shout. We, re- we really want to hear from you all. We want to build a show around our listeners. It, I think it'd be a really good time if we could read some stuff from you, stories about you, your experience with these movies. And, you know, next week we'll be looking at the second Godzilla movie, Godzilla Raids Again. And we'll be asking the big question. Does Godzilla Raids Again work as a sequel to the original? Mm, you'll have to stay tuned next week to find out. Until next week, try, try to, to stay, stay alive. alive. <laughs>
Hey, that wasn't bad. <laughs> and then I started coughing in the middle of it. <laughs> All right. See y'all later.